besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Good evening, everybody. Welcome along to the First Serve on this uh, Monday. We've ticked over to the 10th of October as we cover the world of tennis. Uh, Plenty to get through, as always, uh, tonight, including your calls. A little bit later in the show uh, this week, I'll give you the cue a little bit later on, one 736 Or you can text us uh, right throughout the show, 0433981116. Thanks to our good friends at Tennis Direct, uh, tennisdirect.com.au. You'll get that nice little 10% discount. Use the code FIRSTSERVE10. They're Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices, free delivery wherever you are in Australia. And if you order over $150 worth of gear. Our tour wrap on the way. There's a bit in the mailbag tonight and all the other tennis news of the week. Brett Phillips in the chair tonight. But we start tonight's show going inside the National Tennis Academy, which is up in Brisbane. As I mentioned on last week's show, I spent a full day at the Academy the week before last. The NTA was established on the back of a review of the entire player development system here in Australia for 15 to 23-year-old athletes who are tracking, hopefully, towards uh, the top 100. I sat down with the NTA head, Chris Marnie, and the head coach, Brent Larkham. Unbeknownst to everybody, when, when we started to, to get this up off, off the ground in 2020 and open the doors at the start of 2021, that it was going to be right in the middle of one of the world's biggest pandemics. So that caused us a, a set of issues and, and headaches that, that we didn't know were coming. So largely just in terms of the, the well-being and the homesickness of the kids, mate, we ended up operating with a model that um, is, is not normal to the tennis world. So there was no tournaments, no trips, no tours. Borders were locked down. Several of them you know, were here for six, seven months without seeing their families. So we're through that now and uh, the tennis world has begun and the borders are open. So this year has been, been smooth sailing with uh, the kids being able to get back on the road for chunks of time and compete like they love to do and see their peer group and, and then pop home at the end of a trip you know, and, then, and then come back into their, next, uh, into their next training block refreshed and eager and ready to go. So often I get asked on the first serve about the academy and, and the need here in Australia. So the current intake is 34 players, some of them are Brisbane based, some of them are home based. We've got a couple transitioning from college as well who fit the criteria. Yeah. And people can go on, I think, the Tennis Australia website and understand uh, the background of the NTA and, and the, the qualifications certainly needed. What are the biggest positives to having an academy and what it does for our Australian players? The main goal of, of any collective training environment is to get the best players all working together more often. So uh, we've set this up kind of covering the 15 to 23 age window. So like you said, we had 34 players this year that we handed out agreements to and half of a male, half female approximately and half juniors and half post juniors so um, kind of evenly distributed amongst that that window and um, yeah I think just like you would have seen today you know just getting several courts humming and they're all kind of working and helping uh, each other together achieve their goals so doing it on your own is is pretty difficult Um, so just getting them all in one place that they're they're often on different schedules um, you know here at different times in and out but uh, when we do get a week like this when they're all chipping in and helping each other out move towards the top 100 and that's the goal of the academy is to 
produce as many top 100 players as we possibly can. So just to clarify, there is the option for those who wish to stay home based. I mean, a big part of that performance review was to keep the, the private coach engaged for a longer part of the journey is my understanding but just can you clarify the ones who choose to be home based and the benefits they get as opposed to those who will base themselves in Brisbane? We, we give them two options so if they want to relocate here if they're not from southeast Queensland the ones that are from here just live at home you know and access every day but the ones from interstate um, they have the choice if they want to relocate here we provide them with their team um, we give them a coach in a two-to-one ratio and access to a, an S&C and a physio and, and some funding towards their flights and a common travel expenses. But, um, you know, we, we also offer a second option and recognise that some players uh, might have the setup that they want in their home state and they might want to stay closer to their family at that point in their career and, or they may want to keep working with the coach that they've been working with for a while. So that's where the home-based offer comes in. It's really a, a non-residential offer where we contribute some funding towards their coaching setup uh, and try to add value where we can so they're, they're welcome to come in here for training weeks or training blocks um, and from afar we offer um, the, the add-on so the sports psych and the nutrition um, and those type of things that, that can be accessed remotely. And the aim obviously I'd imagine is to develop the athlete holistically because tennis is a chapter of their life there's a lot of living to do post being a professional tennis player but the balance of all that because there is the uh, the educational component as well so some are doing that and, and parents obviously have a big say in whether their kids will still go to a normal school environment or do distance education just give us some insights into that yeah certainly the holistic development's a big one and i would say everybody on our staff um, takes that seriously and chips in so the assigned coach who's spending so much time with the player uh, out on the road you know certainly has a big job to do there, a big big role, but um, you know, also our dean of students and our psych and our physios and our doctors and everybody here um, you know chips in in that area and we would love to see you know players coming out the other end of this academy who are you know not only develop their tennis game as far as they possibly could or as quick as quickly as they possibly can during their time here but also well-rounded individuals um, who you know like you said have other options whenever their tennis career comes to an end. Brent, I might uh, bring you in here. Long time in the game, coaching and being invested in uh, tennis. When I was down in your office downstairs, uh, there's a, a whiteboard up and it, I suppose, compares us on the world stage to the other countries, how many players we've got ranked in uh, the various uh, categories. And we talk about it often on our show. What is the measurement of success in a, in a really tough sport uh, like tennis? How do you sort of quantify it? A few parts to it. I think, I mean, the end game for everybody is to get into the Grand Slams. And that's really where you start making a living. Um, some, some good announcements last week, I think, from the ATP Tour yep. about um, extending really the, the job opportunities for those players ranked between 100 and 250. And I'm really hopeful that the, the WTA Tour will, will follow suit. Um, it's become a little bit more financially viable with the prize money in the Grand Slams in qualifying. So you know, I, I guess looking back, when I played, it was sort of in the slams or bust. It was sort of that top 100. Yeah. And now I think that's drifted out a little bit further to where you actually can make a living if you're a little bit little bit further down the run. But ultimately, a top 100, a career in that for an extended period, representing a country at Billie Jean King Cup or Davis Cup is, is the, the end game, I think, for every player. Um, or, you know, like you just said, the, there are other opportunities in life. You know, the, the kids in our program will come to a crossroad. 
at about that 18 year old age where some might say, okay, this is not for me, I'm gonna to go to US college. Um, one of our girls last year, this year, Kat Olia, has got a great opportunity to go to, go to college in the States and um, we'll present those opportunities at each time you'll either move into that 19 to 23 space and sure. have a go on the tour or you, you might, you know, all these kids at this level will be good enough to, to get into a great college. And, with Chris's background and Tennis Australia's help, I'm sure we'll find um, many opportunities for those kids if, if going on the tour is not for them. Because we can just simply look at rankings and well, why is it this player progressing? There are so many layers to all of this and the, and the challenges of players from Australia to try and conquer the tours with the, the travel. Do you have those conversations with players? Well, if you get to this level, that can be defined as success. This is some announcements by the Challenger Tour looking to increase prize money by about $8 million next year because that level, there's some fine damn tennis that's been played. But some players, for whatever reason, just can't get out of a certain bracket of the rankings, not because they're not committed to the sport, not because they're not giving 100%. The margins are extremely small, as we know. But trying to convince them that Hey, stick the course, have some faith. Whatever it spits you out at the end will spit you out. But you can get enjoyment out of the sport, even yeah. if you haven't quite reached the absolute ultimate. That's the goal, clearly. But um, yeah. Yeah, I'm keen to get your sort of insights into that. Yeah, definitely. Look, it's a really tough sport. Like, I think we all know that. I think there's, on average, 10 kids in the world in each birth year go on and make the top 100. You know, So that's um, that's challenging in itself. You've got to be extremely good. Mm. Um, you know, if you don't end up being... You know, top five in the world, you might find a way to give back to the sport, I guess, like, like Chris and I have. Like, uh, I mean, I made it to 110 in the world, but I wouldn't consider that as making it, you know. And But I think uh, I came from a tennis family, as did Chris, and both of us have stayed in the game and yep. giving back to the sport, of, a sport that is traditionally very Australian, I think, you know, it's been around for a long time and always will be. Um, so, you know, it was a coaching pathway for, for players as well. Um, but like I said, that US college system as well, come out of there with a degree. We've got two wonderful players who've just come out of college at the moment and have come here out of Walton and Petra Hall. Mm. And you look at, I think, Adam finished number two and the number one has already gone on and made very close to the top 100 now, um, Shelton, uh, which is Brian Shelton's son, an yeah. ex-former player yeah, around, around our era. So yep. it is a legitimate pathway. There are a bunch of players you know, in the top 100 that have come through that college pathway. I think the average age of entry to the top 100 is around 22, 23 years old. So, you know, whether you do that those few years through the NTA or you do it grinding around on the tour or you do it in a college, there's a few different options there to, to try to get through. And be the best you could be has always been my, my motto, you know, and where tennis takes you beyond that is, is up to you as an individual. So I imagine it varies in different parts of the world, the emphasis on and the order of priority of technical, tactical, the physical, the psychological. Where do we sit on that here in Australia and how does that differ to the rest of the world and the way we guide and coach our athletes? Probably the clay court aspect is one thing that Australia could probably still do a little better in. You know, like I think a lot of the tour is played on clay yep. and a lot of the players coming through have had that grounding on clay. I think that's been a big push here in Australia in the last 10 years that we've managed to get some Italian clay shipped over and most of the major facilities around the country have that option to go and play on clay. Look, I think about, I'm going to say probably about 10 years ago we were all watching the Aussie Open when Murray, Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, maybe it was closer to 15 years, they took it to a different level physically, in the men's particularly, like all of a sudden there was some just five-hour matches and we were like, wow, where did that come from? I think it's pretty clear now with the, you know, the new three younger ones on the scene, Rude, Alcaraz, <laughs> Sinner, 
there were some absolutely epic battles. So I think from a physical standpoint, particularly for the men's game, I'd say right now that's a, that's a really high priority. The players are getting bigger as well. You know, I think the average height of the top 10 is six foot four, which, you know, for a five foot 10 guy like myself, it seems like <laughs> a long way up there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, I think. I think that's the way the sport has gone a little bit, a little bit like I guess rugby union when we were we were young. There was the little guys played on the wing, and yeah. now it's the guys that are 110 kilos and, and and that. So definitely the physicality I think is one part of it. Maybe you know we can expose our kids at a, a younger age to clay court tennis. Uh, I think that's something that Rowan Fisher in that younger age group is trying to do now. We've set up a pretty comprehensive touring program for. 12, 13, 14, 15 birth year kids that are going to get to Europe and have a look what clay court tennis looks looks like. And we've got now got a clay nationals and like I said, some of the major facilities in Australia have got clay courts. So look, I think with all the coach information and coach sharing and the way the internet is and the way technology's gone, I think we've got our bases covered from a coaching standpoint technically. You know, sports psych is another big one and we're really lucky to have here our academy, um, Ruth Anderson. And Ruth sort of was a lead psychologist for uh, the Olympic cycling, worked at the AAS and done British cycling and worked in tennis before with some mm-hmm. of our better players. So look, I think we've got all the bases covered, but I'd say there's, there's a couple of things there that really showed through recently for the physicality. Maybe an opportunity for ours is to, to get on play a little bit more. So either of you could jump in here, but I, I ask this question out of curiosity. In terms of the calendar that we have here in Australia and trying to get the balance right of how much our players can learn at home and play at home, how much time do they need to be in that overseas market to pit themselves against players from all around the world, different surfaces, different environments. I think currently this year we've got about, what, 19 tournaments on the schedule from ITFs and and, and a handful of challenges, but also trying to give another layer of kids who would love to get into maybe deeper qualifying draws who are crying out some opportunities. So trying to navigate through all that in in a global sport. Yeah, it is, and we, we've just tried to increase our qualities draw sizes for all these upcoming tournaments to 48 to give more opportunities. And we've tried to position the tournaments at the back end of the year and the front end of the year so that kids can go, you know, come March time, April time, okay, it's time to go to Europe or it's time to go to the States. French Wimby, that's traditionally where that period of sport is, and European summer, clay court tournaments all over the world. And so, yeah, I think the time and calendar in Australia is looking pretty good at the moment. Pathway through to the to the pro level. I mean, January's looked great the last couple of years with, with COVID. We've had a few extra tournaments put in there as well for the Aussies. But that's probably was like Chris touched on at the start. That was one of the biggest challenges. This group of younger kids have potentially missed close to two years yeah, of competitive point. opportunity in Europe. And even the Aussie Open this year, we were we were missing. I think 15 of the top 20 juniors and the boys and the girls yeah. and I'm hoping that they're going to come back uh, next year to Ralden and AO. I was really lucky to go overseas this year and went to Wimbledon and saw the level and I think it's really important for all our younger Aussies to like you said you've got to get exposed you've got to see the level I'm really hoping for a strong field in Tralgon and AO juniors for our youngsters to have a look at. Chris competitive country for sporting participation tennis is up against some big codes here in Australia I know Tia and I sat in on the call last week and looking at their you know participation strategy at the moment in trying to get more kids into tennis and then the challenge of Retaining, which is not only confined to tennis, it's you know, across all sports. What does tennis as a sport bring to a young person's life that maybe exceeds other sports? Yeah, there's certainly plenty of options out there these days, isn't there, for all the young kids, way more than we had when we were growing up, when you were probably just choosing out of four or five sports. And you know, now there's 
any young good athlete out there at the moment and they start into organised sport, there's probably 10 options for them, boys and girls. So um, we have to be on our game, like you said, in terms of the, the programs um, that we offer to the young kids to, to get them to enjoy it and keep them in the sport. You know, we're always looking for a balance. At the end of the day, it's an individual sport. So we're hoping that, you know, probably a lot of the athletes that we end up focusing on are the ones that enjoy that side of things, that, that kind of thrive on the one-on-one. -on -one. But having said that, um, especially in the young ages, you know, we work hard to try to create team events because we know that, you know, through those early teenage years and when the kids are taking up the sport, they, they like doing stuff with their peers. So. You know, we have um, junior team events and super tens and you know, these type of things that are designed to, to kind of counter against the fact that most of the other tournaments are one-on-one -on -one based. So I think for tennis, it's, it's finding that balance between the individual and the team event. I was really lucky to, when I was at the AIS, when I previously worked at TA, I was really lucky to spend some time with a guy by the name of Damien Farrow, yep. who was the leading skill acquisition, uh, one of the leading guys in Australia on how to tennis as a sport, if you just talk generally, like, as a kid, if you can learn to play tennis, it will help you in a lot of other sports as well. It's a one-on-one -on -one battle, it's spatial awareness, you're hitting a moving ball, you've got to use your feet, you've got to use your hand-eye coordination. So, you know, his opinion and, and mine as well, what a, what a great sport to learn. And as a youngster, somewhere between that age of 4 and 11 is where most of the skill acquisition happens. And like I said, even if you're not going to be a professional player with that, like I'm sure it'll help you with your cricket or your, your footy or, or just, you know, your general coordination. A lot of those kids at that age, like you said, play a lot of team sports, so this is an opportunity to have, a, have a, an individual sport, and I think it's a great sport to learn for, for life. No doubt, the sport for life, we uh, always uh, refer. I've just got one more to throw in. Uh, Brenda, I was watching out there with our, our girls a little earlier. Obviously, the academy is based on that you know, 15 to 23 age group. We've got a few that have stepped out into that 24 age group who are now a little bit more on their own. They've got to sort of create their own team around them and fund that. And I suppose that's a question we've been asking on the first serve for a little while. We've had this uh, a batch of female players, a lot in that sort of 100 to 130, 100 to 200 bracket, who have all shown at different times that they they can, they can play at the level. We thought maybe one or two might be able to creep inside and that might inspire potentially a few others. When you talk to that group, sometimes I suppose they're this far down the journey, they can think, am I ever going to get there or do I still have the aspiration? Where's my motivation? What do you, what do you talk to them about? Because so many players now in the sport are, are having success later, more playing into their 30s and deeper and having some of their best results. And that's a testament to sports science, isn't it? Like the, you know, keeping athletes fitter and healthier for longer. But look, there's the group of current girls, I really still believe they can all still make the top 100. I think yep. there's a window of opportunity at the moment in, in the, the girls' sport, in, in female tennis, that it's very even. It's a really even spread across, you know, from, even from the top 10 down to the top 200. Yeah. Um, the ability levels of the girls, and I, like some of the girls you're referring to are Pre Hahn, Lizette Cabrera, Kim Burrell, and Maddie Inglis. I really still believe they've got it in them. And. I think, like you said, you can play a little bit longer and they're turning, they're 23, 24 this year. I reckon they've got another six or seven years, at least, you know, eight years in them. We've got a, we're from a, a Grand Slam nation, so we're obviously very lucky. You know, it's a little bit easier for these girls and might get opportunities in, in January. Look, I believe that they can still play at that level and they can still, they can still get there. And I guess part of an academy, though, as well, is having the likes of them around to help the next generation um, come through as well. You know, I think you saw James and Johnny out there today hitting with the younger boys, and um, normally you 
see these girls come back from on overseas and they just jump on call with their younger girls, it's invaluable. So if we can help them just progress that little bit further and try to have a career in the top 100 for the next five or seven years, that would be, I think, a win for everybody. Chris, as we spoke off air about, these are people of good character too, good good people in the, in the sport, so you'd love to see them just have their own personal breakthrough, not, not for us in the media, but just for their own yeah. uh, toil and hard work that they put in. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, the four or five that Brent mentioned there, and plus we've got Jamie Foolis and Sio Mendes and Zoe Hives and Kayla McPhee, there's eight to ten of these girls, and I think the thing we've got going for us is they're great individuals, so their personal characteristics and qualities are, are so high that I think if you're going to put your money on any of them to break through, this would be the group. Uh, that is the voice of uh, Chris Marley, head of the NTA, and Brent Larkham, the head coach. We'll put the list of the 34 athletes on our website this week, so check that out, thefirstserve.com.au. Uh, your feedback on the academy, happy to hear it if you want to send me an email during the week, thefirstservesen at gmail.com. Uh, Hume Tennis and Community Centre, it's a little mini Melbourne park. It's a beauty out in Craigieburn in Melbourne's north. It's got tennis for everyone. It's uh, perfect also if you're coming from interstate, if you're a coach, a player, bringing a group, you can train, compete. It's got accommodation just around the corner, very close to Melbourne Airport, humetennis.com.au. Log on, check it out, and a great place to play a fair bit of tennis. We'll stick with the NTA after the break. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The first serve. Your home of tennis. Our tour wrap in the mailbag very soon, but we're going to stick with our feature on the National Tennis Academy in Brisbane, where I was in the last fortnight. Mark Taylor, don't think Fujitsu, is the lead physical performance coach at the NTA, and it was Ash Barty's lead strength and conditioning coach. We sat down for a chat in the last week. Responsible for anywhere between eight and ten players, depending on who's around. For a long time, you were part of uh, Team Ash as yep. well, and that's been a, a big adjustment for everyone mm. that's been involved with Ash, but those who have followed her for, for quite some time. So we're up here at the academy. It's great to be able to actually have a look on the inner sanctum mm. here, and obviously there's a lot of uh, Brisbane-based players. There's a lot of players who are also based um, around Australia. So just give us a little insight into the dealings you have with the players. and yep. An area that's become... Do you think even more critical now, the whole physical preparation of a player? This game has got more physical than I can ever remember it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, yeah, the game is, yeah, as you say, becoming more and more physical the whole time. Um, yeah, I think rallies are definitely getting longer. The tour's grueling. It's, you know, especially for the players from Australia, I think it's pretty tough because we have to travel so far. Um, so actually getting those times to prepare and, and you know, kind of, back off tournaments to come and actually do some physical preparation is actually quite challenging for you know these guys and girls so yeah it's, it's pretty tough um, so it's a lot of my a lot of my work is remote to be honest um, as I said I've got kind of you know eight to ten players that I, I kind of coach and this would be the only week of the year in, in maybe the last two years that I've got every single one of the players I coach here mm. um, so a lot of my work is done remotely we try to as a group educate the players to almost become a bit self-sufficient as well you know communication is pretty important so when they're on the road they you know they need to get their work done we're obviously not always there so it's a lot of um, it can be a lot of like kind of Skype sessions or it can be yep. you know just whatsapps or just voice notes yeah so it's it gets pretty tricky but as you say it's I think it's such an important space you know these days I mean I think everyone talks about injuries a lot it's a brutal sport injuries happen unfortunately 
So we just have to do our best to you know, take care of the risk factors that you know, can pop up before someone gets injured and then you know, do the best that we can when they do get injured and almost try to, we try to use it as a bit of an opportunity. For example, if someone's got a lower body injury and they can still, you know, still hit tennis balls, they can sure. still hit backhand, they can still hit volleys. Yep. Um, so we try to take the approach with myself and the physical performance team, but also the physio team here around trying to use injuries as an opportunity to try and get something else better, whether it's physical or whether it's technical or whether it's both. The physical, how much do you think a player can have an edge in that department. If, if we just mm. look at our men, for example, and we know that's the DNA of Demonor and mm. Millman and Duckworth and Thompson, who will grind and grind and go. You feel like they could play for 24-7 yep. straight yep. And, on, and on a tennis court. We've seen what Elkaraz has risen to with the mm. physicality he brings. When you're trying to sort of rank all those areas, because everyone can hit a decent ball, yes. how much do you think the edge in that physical prep, and how does it vary from player mm. to player that you manage in terms of what that player wants to really invest in that space yeah i think those guys you mentioned have got a really good i think the physical and the psychological is actually really closely linked and i think they have a really good idea of the physical requirements but also the psychological makeup behind it so those guys are not only i think they all do slightly different things physically in terms of you know how they train what their strengths are in terms of some Mm. movement stuff you know Demon's obviously, you know, probably the fastest guy on tour. Johnny and, and Tomo are obviously very, very fast themselves, but they're also incredibly strong boys. Um, so yeah, they're they're running as is Demon, but they're incredibly strong in the corners. Physical and the psychological is really well, and and Johnny is really well linked, I think. And Johnny's done a really good job of over the years understanding his body. He's had obviously had a lot of injuries, but he understands when he can push and when he can kind of when he has to kind of come back a little bit. And I think that's such a that's such a huge learning thing for all the junior players that we have here. It's trying to learn the difference between what's an injury and what's a niggle. Sure. Um, that's such a that's one of the most important things to learn as an athlete, in my opinion. That's again, that's kind of part of our role in terms of trying to educate the athletes around that. I think obviously the men's and the women's game have different you know different qualities. I think you know the guys that the rallies are incredibly long. They're brutal. You know most of the Grand Slam surfaces are becoming very similar in terms of yeah. the speed. Yeah. All you got to do is watch you know some of the stuff from even just the Labor Cup like last week, like some of the rallies that you know. Cam and Demon were having were, were off the charts. So, you know, aerobic fitness with those boys, it has to be incredibly high. I think sometimes with the girls, strength is a, is a real bit of low-hanging fruit with some of the girls. Um, I think just because of the different kind of makeup of the body as well. And just trying to just you know, create robustness around the, around the joints, um, you know, with some of the girls. Like I think we see quite a lot of kind of tape around the thighs, actually, with, with girls. Yeah, just try to just mitigate injury risk. So you've got those players who are at the performance level now. Then you've got the players who are emerging who are you know coming into the academy as the 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 15 year olds or 16 year olds who are embarking on their journey so i imagine that advice pretty early doors is is really critical as, as you're building the tennis player you're also building the athlete absolutely um and i think it's actually a really difficult thing to do because we need to get a real high volume of technical training in mm. constantly evolving process where it's almost a bit of push-pull, I suppose, in terms of, yeah, just trying to keep them on the edge of doing enough, but not too much. Um, and again, as I said, just trying to get them to learn their bodies and learn how to train and learn how to recover properly and learn. And it's great having guys like Johnny and, and Ducks around at the moment. And to be honest, like guys like Adam Walton as well and Sweeney. Like these boys are, you know, they're fantastic athletes. Yeah. They're, they're really good tennis players. Obviously, Johnny and Ducks have you know, been in the top 100 for a while. Um, it's great for the, the younger kids like Jonesy, um, you know, Ginny and Derek to, to kind of see that and feel that a little bit. Um, actually, last week Johnny was sitting with um, yeah one or two other of the younger boys mm. um, who I don't think are actually part of the program. But I, I just asked those you know what are, what are they learning and they're just you know the intensity of it. As you said, everybody can hit forehands and backhands, but the intensity of it 
and just the the amount of conditioning that's done on the tennis court is is massive and those guys really really kind of felt the felt the intensity of working with Johnny especially no doubt uh, he's always brought that to the table which we love uh, Mark in all your travels you know you're working with the Australian players but you know you've uh, worked over in the UK as well yeah. I mean you have observed so many players across you know different nationalities different upbringings how do we sort of compare here in Australia just with the DNA of our type of athlete yeah. from all those areas I mentioned the technical the technical the, the, yeah. the, the mind the resilience you need to go out and be a professional uh, tennis player how do, how do you think yeah. we stack up I think we do pretty well honestly I, I really do I think the comparisons are always drawn between the kind of let's say the westernized countries in terms of you know the UK probably America and, and Australia with I guess those kind of Latin countries mm. um, we're just different I think it's just different we have really gritty resilient competitors all the guys you were just talking about like you know they've been hanging around for years like, I think in terms of yeah the resilience and the grittiness I think Australians do it very very well and I think I genuinely believe one of the biggest differences and one of the biggest challenges is the travel with our guys and girls. Like it's actually, having lived in now for a couple of years, I didn't really think it was going to be that much of an issue. Yeah. But even just, you know, in terms of trying to build resilience and train, they might finish, if you're a UK player or a Spanish player, you can you can finish a tournament somewhere in Europe and you can be home in a couple of days, or mm. a couple of hours, sorry. Mm. Here, it's a couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll skip, you'll skip multiple time zones, come back and you almost lose three or four days. And then you've got to try and build up, and then you've got to you've got to leave again early because it's such a long way. So I think with that kind of thing, mind I think yeah, I think Aussie tennis players are, are tough as nails. Honestly, I think I don't think they get the credit they deserve a lot of the time. Physically, again, I I like to think we do a pretty good job. I think it's it keeps me awake at night. Honestly, injuries like it's one of the, it's the worst thing about my job um, and, and my team's job. Like it really we hate it when players get injured. Like we we really rack our brains and try to you know do as much as we can to. To try to prevent that, yeah. So anything that we can do on that on that space is, is obviously, yeah, yeah. We try as hard as we can. A long time in that physical performance slash sort of sports science mm. space. I mean, it's, it's, it's a space that's continuing to evolve, isn't it? Only yeah. in tennis across all sport yeah. in trying to get mm. the edge massively. And I think, quite honestly, I think tennis is actually a bit behind in this space compared to you know the AFL yeah. guys, you know the footy guys here, um, soccer back in the UK. Um, I think we're probably a little bit behind in terms of our, our kind of testing and monitoring mm. of the players and, and trying to influence, let's say, robustness that way. Um, so what we tried what we tried to do here is bring in, you know, use a bit of technology here and there, which is, is commonplace in, in other sports. Sure. Um, and we're trying to bring that in, you know, with, with the team here, with Al Murphy and his performance, uh, performance science team. We've kind of implemented a few things around, around that to just try to help us develop a bit more robustness in the players it's always an evolving process and it's it's new it's been a process of trying to implement mm. it and, and it become normal um, but I think we're getting to a pretty good space one last yeah. one for you yeah. sure. because her game was beautiful what an athlete I mean we miss her no doubt about that what was the key to her though behind the scenes and just managing herself as an athlete is there something that stood out about the way she went about it everything Ash does has mm. a purpose she's she's a very intelligent person yeah She's probably the, well, she is the most intelligent athlete I've ever come across, maybe even person. Honestly, she had a she had a real understanding of what what she wanted to achieve and and kind of used her team 
in different you know roles. Obviously, there are different kind of roles to try to get the best out of her game. Mm. Um, I, she was the CEO of the team, which is something I try to, especially with our girls, I try to really try to instill that in them. Yep. Um, we're not the boss. You know, even Ty's like we call him the boss, but he wasn't the boss. Ash is the boss, mm. and Ash is the one who's kind of yeah using us to get the best out of her. And she she really understood how to do that. She understood you know when enough was enough and when it, and when it wasn't. Um, and obviously, yeah, as you said, she had you know, unbelievable technical ability you know the physical developed through the years and again with that stuff it was it was so easy to work with her because with a lot of athletes you you give them a piece of information and you might have to repeat it three or four times with ash it's in yep. you say something and it's in and then she's naturally kind of curious around you know why are we doing this but she'll ask intelligent questions around that which again for me that's a sign of a of an athlete who really understands the journey they're on so that is the voice of Mark Taylor, lead physical performance coach at the National Tennis Academy. I'll bring you more from the NTA on next week's show. Olivia Kadecki, Adam Walton and Jeremy Jin all had a chat to the first serve. All thanks to Melbourne's leading synthetic grass court surface and construction specialist. They are ASTE tennis courts. They're trusted by Melbourne tennis clubs and councils. Check out aste.com.au. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com The First Serve Your home of tennis It is a 90th ATP Tour title for the quite extraordinary Novak Djokovic Absolutely flawless today and it's a win that guarantees his place in Turin for the year-end finals in just over a month's time as he tries to win that for a sixth time in his career. Taylor Fritz, the champion in Tokyo. What a time he is having in his tennis career right now. A third ATP Tour title of this season. A new entry into the world's top ten. And seemingly the sky is the limit. This time she does it. A final of epic proportions as Barbora Krachikova does what no other player has managed to do in 2022. She defeats Iga Swiatek in a WTA final. But boy, did it take something special. Swiatek was two points away from winning an eighth title. Instead, it's back-to-back titles for the Czech. It is. A superb seventh singles title on the Horizon WGA Tour for Elise Mertens. And that is the biggest smile that Philip de Hayes has given us all week. Let's get into our tour whip around. Thanks to AATC, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, providing quality coach education right across the globe. Courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. You can learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorse, inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. So back-to-back for Novak in Tel Aviv and also Astana. Title number 90, so Rafa's on 92, Roger 103, Jimmy Connors on 109. He's... Looking to put the foot down, Djokovic. I know all the talk today has been, is he going to get back into Australia? All that to play at. I would think uh, they'll sign that off and uh, reverse uh, the ban for the next uh, two years. Fourth title of the season. Uh, he is uh, He's going beautifully. He might not technically be the world number one player, but to me, he's still uh, the best going around. Uh, defeat Stefanos Tsitsipas in uh, Kazakhstan, 6-3, 6-4. The Tsitsipas record, 0-9 at ATP 500 level. That snuck up on me, so... 
a uh, bit of a nightmare, the ATP 500. So for Novak, he does qualify for the season-ending ATP finals in Turin as a Grand Slam winner. Uh, we heard there Taylor Fritz. Now, it could have been Novak Djokovic, uh, sorry, it could have been Nick Kyrgios that we were speaking about uh, winning Tokyo because he played two very good rounds, was supposed to play Fritz in a quarterfinal. Uh, Nick pulls out with a knee issue, had to pull out of the doubles with uh, Kokonakis. They were at the quarterfinal stage. Uh, it's nothing to be alarmed about long term. There's a bit of the season to play at and good to see Nick playing uh, the season longer. But uh, Fritz took advantage of that and uh, wins the title, an ATP 500. He's third of the year. He's inside the top 10. And uh, the big announcement, of course, during the week, for those who are going to go to the uh, Kuyong Classic, uh, which is back for 2023, that uh, he has signed on uh, Taylor Fritz, along with Demonor, along with Alcaraz, along with Marin Cilic. So uh, some really, really uh, good names, but that could have been a title that could have gone the way of uh, Nick Kyrgios. But I bought a Krachikova. She's uh, very keen this year. Just to let the tennis world know that uh, that French Open wasn't just a flash in the pan. Had a tough year, not been able to win a title, but she's gone back-to-back the last two weeks. And anyone who can defeat the world number one, Iga Sviantec, this year is uh, worth a mention uh, because those defeats have been uh, very, very rare. So well done to Krachikova. And Elise Mertens, well, always been understated. Uh, made a couple of semis of the Australian Open. Always been knocking on the door thereabouts. Uh, top 20, top 30 in the ranking. She pops up and... And wins titles. So well done to Elise Mertens. Uh, the ATP Challenger app, you can find that on our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Uh, a mention of Cairns in the last week, the Australian Pro Tour. Uh, Priscilla Hon almost on cue because we had the Billie Jean King Cup team announced. Isla Tomjanovic picked herself, who was going to be the, the second singles player with no Darius Seville. Certainly, rankings wise, and what she'd done in the past, uh, Priscilla. Probably had the, the lead there, and then she goes out and wins the 25K as the top seed in Cairns. Three and a half hours to see off Kim Birrell yesterday. It was some uh, sort of final, and unfortunately for Kim, uh, she uh, hasn't been able to win uh, a lot of these finals across her uh, career. And uh, Alex Bolt, uh, first uh, tournament back after about six months, uh, goes out and wins uh, the title. So he looked very good, and uh, no doubt going in as... Um, you know, not the top C because of his ranking, but effectively the best player in the draw for where he has been in the rankings uh, previously. So Rowan Williams, who does our Where Are They Now podcast, uh, teaming up with Alex Bolt. Uh, nicely done, gents, in the uh, very, very first week. And I did duck out to the Australian Paddle Tour at Docklands uh, yesterday, and uh, it was good, really good. This is going to grow. We'll talk about this more on the show in the coming weeks, but Tim... Uh, Robin Brown, the, the uh, number one in paddle here in Australia. And uh, Jarek uh, Josviak won the men's final, the doubles. And uh, Alexia Deli, the top seed. And Constanza Kokoulis uh, took out the women's. So uh, that was a good event down there at the Melbourne uh, Classic. Well done to Matt Levy and all his team who ran a magnificent show. So uh, they are the results. Uh, thanks to Yarrett Tennis Coaching, Eaglemont Tennis Club, uh, just off the Eastern Freeway, junior and adult programs available. Shane Scrutney's got 30 years of coaching experience whose mission is simply to improve your game, whether you're a complete beginner or a serious player. Check out yarratennis.com.au. Thanks to GLG Greenlife Group. Leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve. A big congratulations to uh, Rafael Nadal. I'm sure he'll be tuning in in Mallorca uh, tonight. His uh, beautiful wife, uh, Mary Perello, giving birth to a baby boy. So Rafa uh, 
uh, becomes a dad, whether he see him for the rest of the year. We'll have to uh, wait and see. The Australian Open launch coming up on Wednesday, so we'll find out more what the two weeks of January is going to look like. I believe the entire summer won't be announced on uh, Wednesday. We may be still a week or two away from the lead-up events all being uh, announced. Uh, Omar Jasikra, I had Omar on the show last week, talking to him at the NTA. He did send me a text after the show to say, I did forget to mention the great support that the Kuyong Lawn Tennis Club and the Kuyong Foundation have given him. So Omar wanted me to give that a little bit of a shout-out. Uh, Morris Gleeson, OAM, great man. We've had Morris on the program. Uh, blind Tennis, of course, uh, the championships recently down at Melbourne Park. Uh, Laylor Tennis Club, come and try days, coming up this Sunday, 10am till midday. You can make some new friends, explore the great facilities at Laylor Tennis Club in Melbourne, learn about blind and low-vision tennis pathways and inclusive sport opportunities for uh, all abilities. So for more information, you can go to the website, blindsports.org.au. Make sure you uh, check that out. Uh, There's always a little bit in the mailbag uh, when it comes to uh, UTR. Uh, The info I have thus far, it seems that uh, Tennis Australia cannot find it within themselves to acknowledge it's been cocked up and addressed the core issues. Instead, work... Uh, arounds and band-aids are being applied to a gaping wound. Coercive stick approach being floated instead of bringing the tennis community with them. Prioritising feedback from high-performance teams within TAs not providing the right lens through which to view the problem. Simply focuses solutions on the absolute elite to the detriment of the underlying health of the sport. It will be interesting to see how Tennis Australia respond once they have the collective feedback to the ideas they're floating. There is a bit going on in that space uh, for reform in the 20. Uh, 23. Now, this one from Jamie Kirkman, who's a coach. I've been back in Australia for two years. Prior to this, I was operating an academy in Florida where we held UTR days for our academy kids and also tournaments. As a tool to judge what your level is on on a global scale, UTR is perfect. The problem I see with what all the Australians are complaining about is that they are looking short-term, not long-term. While I agree TA butchered the rollout of UTR tournaments, national ranking system this year, the UTR is a great tool for coaches, parents and players. I would go as far as saying I believe Aussie kids are probably a half to a full point in front currently, so it says they are an eight when they are probably a 7.25 or so. Hence, uh, there is going to be some teething problems and uh, more data uh, the system gets uh, the better. So there's a view on UTR. I had a couple of emails around uh, qualifying in Cairns. Uh, As you heard there with our chat with Brendan Chris at the NTA, uh, certainly the objective this summer with the Australian Pro Tour has been to increase the qualies draws to 48. They've normally been at 32, but such has been the demand uh, for players um, wanting to enter the pathway and play the uh, ITS. Now, Cairns, from what I'm told, uh, 42 players obviously uh, um, went into qualies last week. I think it was 44 uh, this week. So sign-in is always 6 o'clock uh, the night before. Uh, and Cairns being a sort of unique situation logistically, uh, the travel costs, etc., etc., uh, that uh, it ended up being 6 by. So 42 elected to sign in and be uh, a part of the tournament. And there were plenty uh, interstate who thought it's probably not worth um, you know making the trip for a, a variety of reasons. So... Uh, we'll touch um, uh, more on that uh, certainly in the uh, in the coming weeks and 
and actually checking with the performance team before the year is out. We'll bring that to you on the first serve. The Victorian Tennis Cup Carnival. It's a new event for 12, 14 and 16-year-olds. It's going to be played over the Melbourne Cup weekend, a $25,000 prize pool, including the chance to win a free college placement service. So registrations are open now with details on the UTR page for each of the organising associations, Waverley, Eastern Region and the North East Junior Tennis Association. So you can uh, check that out. We'll be down there on uh, the Monday, uh, the 31st of October. A big thanks to Yonex, of course. They're great supporters of our show. 76 years of performance product crafted in Japan. Uh, check out their latest range at uh, yonex.com. So I'll bring you more from the NTA next week. Uh, I love the chat with Olivia Gadecki. We'll take you inside her uh, tennis world. And the Australian Open launch, it'll be interesting on Wednesday to see what is revealed. Hidden beautifully during the week. Let's make it a date next Monday night at 8 o'clock. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.